Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, key routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Jim Jones, NFL Network. In a moment, first our play-by-play call of the day. Andrew McCutcheon does something he's never done in the Major League Baseball before. Here's the 2-1. And a swing and a fly ball hit well. Out to right center and deep. And there it goes. The first career grand slam for Andrew McCutcheon. He hit it to the opposite field. And he clears it all. Buck goes up 6 to nothing. Joe Block with a call on the Pirates radio network last night. And with that, we bring in Tim Jones, NFL Network, who has to be on at 420. So I want to make sure that we uh, maximize our time with her. Kim, welcome back. It's always great to hear from you. It was great to see, great to see you a few weeks ago. I have a bone to pick with you. I wanted to hear a Steve Jones, Jack Ham play of the day from Saturday. That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, go ahead, Sean. You can find it somewhere in there. Right? I can find it. <laughs> All right. She's top shelf host here. We got to keep her happy. Yeah, we do have to keep her happy. So, Oh, yeah, right. Okay, he's he's on that. He'll take care Go of that ahead. in a moment here. All right, here, Go we, here we go. We got it. Juwan Johnson. Here we go. Kosicki far side, near side, Tompkins and Hamilton. It's winner to lose it right here. Fourth and goal at the seven. Sorely up to the line of scrimmage. In the gun. Takes it. Back to pass. Blitz coming. In the end zone. Throws. Got it. Touchdown. Penn State. Jawan Johnson and the Nittany Lions at the wire win it. Okay. Thank you, Stevie. What a great call. Great call. Loved it. Thank you very much. You actually have come in here. You've had a chance to actually sit down with Saquon, talk with him. In that time you were around him, what impression did he give you? Just a good kid, because he is a kid. He's 20 years old on the football field. He doesn't look 20, but he's 20 years old. He is, I don't know, I, I'm trying to decide as I write a piece on him, if he speaks softly, if he's more understated. I mean, he is definitely not someone who fills up the room with noise. He is someone that you have to listen to the words. He is um, very, he's not careful with his, wor- with his words, but Steve, for a young man like that, he's very particular with them. And I actually talked to him again more recently, and I'm asking him about the Iowa game and everything else. I don't even, I haven't transcribed it yet, but he had to have given me a 400 word answer where he mentioned every teammate and every wonderful thing that teammate did in the course of that game to enable them to beat Iowa on Saturday. He is remarkable in that, and it comes across as very genuine, which I believe it is. He is just, he is as impressive off the field as he is on. And I think everyone listening knows that is saying something. How anxious are the pros to get their hands on this guy yeah. now? It, it's amazing the the way that people approach me about him, knowing I'm a Penn Stater, knowing I'm a proud Penn Stater. 
once in a while a text message, certainly when I see people in person. They, they really, you know, one of the things that you get is a wow. They'll say beast. They'll say monster. I mean, he impresses them in ways, let me put it this way, that very few college players do. And, and I'm lucky enough that I'm our, our reporter at the Combine, so I'm always getting impressions from NFL talent evaluators about draft-eligible players, and he is not yet, and I'm not declaring him in this conversation, but down the road, whenever that may be, um, there's not a yeah, but with Saquon Barkley. There's just a wow, he's a monster, what a kid, and what a game. The first couple of weeks of the NFL season, you know, controversies aside and, and protests aside, we'll get to that in a moment, didn't, I don't think, light the fire of a lot of people, but last weekend kind of hit some stride. Do you think maybe because of how the preseason is handled that it takes the NFL a little longer to hit stride because guys are now finally playing? Yeah, and it also has a lot to do, I think, you know, we always talk about the trenches in football, right? They're not the playmakers, they're not the sexy players, they're not the skilled players, they're not the ones scoring touchdowns almost, what, 99.9% of the time. <laughs> uh, but but the offensive linemen coming out of college just aren't – someone, a, a very smart guy who happens to be a general manager in the NFL said to me fairly recently, the college players aren't playing the same game we are anymore. And you see that at many programs. Penn State's would now fall into that, given the offense that, that they run with Joe Moorhead. And I love the offense, by the way. But they're not prepared to get in there and really stick their nose in and be a pro offensive lineman. That takes a lot of development. I think that has changed the game to a large degree in terms of execution on offense and really chemistry on offense. That's a really good point because I've actually concentrated more on the quarterbacks and that you aren't getting pro-level quarterbacks coming out of college because of style. Hadn't really thought of the offensive line part, and that's a part that's critical to what they want to do at the next level. Well, and listen, you can look at Patrick Mahomes as the example for your argument. You talk about a wow guy at the Combine. I had people texting me and saying to me, watch that kid when the quarterbacks work out. And I was sure to watch Patrick Mahomes during the quarterback drills. He does have a Brett Favre arm. He can make every throw. You know, I've asked people hypothetically, if Andy Reid needs a Hail Mary, is there any chance he gets Mahomes in there and not Alex Smith? Now, Alex Smith has had a great start to his season, but I thought it was at least a, a you know, a perhaps unique and definitely a worthwhile question to ask. That's how great Patrick Mahomes is as a thrower of the football. But, you know, if you talk to the Chiefs, Steve, they're hoping it's an, it's an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre situation, maybe not for that long a time, but that this young man in Mahomes really does sit, learn the game, learn how to read defenses, learn how to drop back, learn everything along those lines, and then play as the Chiefs starting quarterback down the road. So I think that speaks to your point, which is probably, frankly, a better one than mine about the O-line. Three weeks in, the New York Jets have a win. The New York Giants do not. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the offense of the New York Giants, why is there a struggle? Well, I do think in week two when Odell Beckham Jr. was injured, it set back not only the Giants' best player but their offense. Uh, I think that's fact. It's not meant to be an excuse. I think that they also have not gotten nearly what they need from their offensive line. They banked on it being better. They banked on them maturing uh, into a cohesive unit. It's, they haven't. Uh, the one solution they found Sunday in Philadelphia, which if they cared what I thought, I would suggest they stay with it, and that's that Eli Manning got through, got rid of, I believe, 
it was 34 of his passes, and I think he attempted 47. I'm not 100% sure of the 47, but he got rid of 34 of his passes in under two seconds. And that's what it's becoming, very quick, very decisive, very get, you know, drop back, but be fast doing it. And then, by the way, get rid of the ball as you're dropping back. And that's what the offense, you know, has had to become to make up for an offensive line and to make up for some offensive deficiencies in the run game, especially that I didn't foresee. So I was wrong. And I can guarantee you, as I stand here at the Giants facility, they didn't foresee it either. A lot of people bring up flowers at the left tackle. Is it too simple to say that's part of the issue there? Yep, and you ask a good question because I think you suspected my answer would be no, uh, or yes, that it is too simple. He hasn't been great. Um, He did allow three sacks to Ziggy Ansah um, of Detroit on that Monday night, so everyone saw them and everyone said he's terrible and he did not have a good game, but it is too simple. They don't get pushed up the middle. They don't get pushed anywhere. Uh, They've had breakdowns along the five. Uh, So, yes, too simple, but he has not played well. We know with the protests that have happened, after what the president said uh, Friday night, the uh, the NFL showed a level of unity. Now, you and I know unity lasts until the collective bargaining agreement comes up, and then suddenly there isn't as much unity. Uh, but when you've had a chance to talk to players, some very thoughtful, some are follow the leader. It's just the way the, the way nature is. You and I know that. What have mm-hmm. they told you about all this? Well, let's separate one part of it, okay? The the linking of the arms to me is something that I'd be tempted to do if I were on a team going into a, a game anyway. And I, I think that that in and of itself did show unity um, and understandable unity. And it wouldn't surprise me if that continues. And if that's a statement, I think that's a statement that most people can say, okay, this is my team, and they're going to go into battle, quote-unquote battle, together. Right. The the kneeling is something, and, and you, you've brought up the Giants. I'm at the Giants today. The Giants have had absolutely none of that. And on, three, on, uh, on Sunday, three players did kneel. And I thought they were all very interesting in their comments because none of them took it lightly. None of them simply said, well, the president's comments made me do it. They all, Landon Collins, for example, said he nearly burst into tears as he kneeled because, as he said, I love this country. Olivier Vernon told a longer version of all of that because his parents are immigrants. And he and his dad was in law enforcement before he retired uh, in South Florida. So he comes at it from a different point of view. So they, they really contemplated it and felt like they had to do it. Whether it continues or not, if that's your follow-up, Steve, that part I don't know. I don't know if it continues, but I do know in the case of the three giants, the other one was Damon Harrison, that they really thought about it. They didn't simply say, you know, take that, I'm going to kneel. How important is it, from the reporter's point of view, to convey what you just talked about, that, look, when somebody does this, there's a depth of thought behind it and an emotion and a conflict behind it that maybe a lot of people don't realize? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak for myself on that. And and for myself, Steve, I've always been a stick to sport. On Twitter, I don't get into politics. Mm -hmm. Some of my colleagues do. Some of my fellow media members do. I'm not in any way judging them or making a comment about them. I am saying I prefer it because I don't want to put myself out there um, in that regard. Uh, On Sunday, we had no choice. On Sunday, when Malcolm Jenkins tweeted that they would link arms and they wanted fans in the stands to do the same, 
I read that on NFL Network because, Steve, we had been put in that spotlight of this is now national right. conversation and it's not just stick to sports. So, and after I tweeted and said what Malcolm Jenkins said, I was criticized for not sticking to sports. Uh, the fact of the matter is last weekend there was no sticking to sports. It was a national conversation, and as reporters, I did feel like we had to be part of reporting that part of it. Well, you and I feel the same way about it, and you and I would have approached it the same way. So, well, that Tim, makes me I know because you're great. Uh, you're great, well, and that makes me feel good. Well, so hey, you're great. I appreciate you very much. I know you've got something you have to do coming up in a couple of minutes, so I want to make sure you're ready for that. Thanks for the time you gave us. We will talk soon. Okay. Yes, I, I look forward to a few weeks from now. I'm going to bug you to put me on. So Sean already said that would be okay. So I'll I'll talk oh, to you in a few weeks, David. You don't have to bother us about that. They, they, <laughs> it's open door, carte blanche. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Kim. We are. Bye. Kim Jones, NFL Network. Brilliant, brilliant work at every stage of her career. Every stage. Um, Center Daily Times, Newark Star-Ledger, Yes Network, NFL Network, every stage. She's excelled. And uh, one of the reasons that she excels, she gets it. She gets it. Somebody else who gets it, Chris Wheeler. Next half hour. We'll talk with him in a moment as... We continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by a great friends at Sunbury Motors. Hey, great to have you with us on the show today. Chris Wheeler at the bottom of the hour. Uh, this uh, college basketball story is going to be one that's going to be hanging every day here for a while to come. Uh, I know it's college football season. I got it. Nobody knows that more than me. What do you think I've been doing the last few days? I've been getting ready for a college football game. But uh, the uh, this college basketball story, what is the meal ticket for the NCAA? It is the men's basketball tournament. That is the meal ticket. It's going to be interesting to see how this is handled by schools, by the FBI. It's also going to be interesting to see how the NCAA handles it. Now, in all fairness to them, you know, we can take all the little snarky comments we want about the NCAA and so forth, but I have tried over the years to be very, very fair in my comments to them, pro and con. That way, if you say something negative, you can balance it by saying, yeah, but I've said all these other things, too, about them, to be fair. Now, to be fair, they do not have the staff to handle an investigation like this. They just don't. So don't act as, oh, why did the NCAA get caught with their pants down? Why are they so surprised? They don't have the staff to handle this. The FBI does. But the NCAA does not, and you know, and you can ask yourself over and over again, why is it taking them so many years to get the North Carolina thing done? It's taken forever on that, so there is an absurdity to it when you look at how long that takes. But again, they just don't have the people, and to handle this in layers, Adidas agents, AAU assistant coaches. These are too many levels. They can't handle these levels. Can't do it. It's too much. So, I mean, you've got the FBI doing it. All right, well, the FBI's doing it. That's good. You know, you know, you feel like you're going to get to the bottom of it, at least. 
because the NCAA they don't have they they don't have the, the just the pure numbers in the building to do something like this. Can't. That's it's just it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, I think they just assume that the NCAA is this behemoth. They've got thousands of thousands of people working. They got all the time in the world to investigate people. The investigative unit is not that big. It just isn't. Now the FBI's investigative unit oh, appears to have a lot of people in it. So, and when you're talking, you are talking about agents. You're talking about shoe companies, assistant coaches, boosters. I'm sorry, an ordinary group cannot handle this. Last I checked, the for the most part, the FBI is an extraordinary group. May not be perfect, but for the most part, they are an extraordinary group. And we're going to see over the next few weeks how this initially plays out. And what's it going to do overall to what we see in college basketball today? I think one of the steps that you're going to see that has nothing to do with college basketball but will have an impact on college basketball will be the NBA reverting to you can leave high school and go to college rule. Uh, The only reason that rule exists, it is not a college rule. Not a college rule. I think it's a misnomer for people to think that it's the colleges to say, yeah, we can let you go after a year. No. The NBA draft rule negotiated by the NBA and the NBA Players Association is the rule. They're the ones that control it. And over the years, it has been the NBA Players Association that has been insistent that if you're going to have players go to college first, that it can should only be one and done. The owners have wanted to have a two-year, 20-year-old rule. They must be 20 years of age and two years outside of college, whether you play in China or you decide to go to college, whatever is your choice. You still have to be one year and 19 to do it. The owners wanted two and 20 because they would like a little more mature league. So with a compromise, the players, the players' associations always said one year and 19. Well, now I can see this reverting, especially after this, to say, you know what the heck with it. Open the door. You want to go from high school to the pros. You want to be Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady. Go ahead. Now, that doesn't mean anybody, everybody that goes directly is going to have a great career. And I just named four Hall of Famers. Two are, uh, one is in, McGrady. Bryant and Garnett will eventually be eligible, and LeBron's still playing. So eventually all four of them will be Hall of Famers. But for all those four Hall of Famers, you're going to have a long list of guys where that first contract is going to be the contract. And they're going to hang around for a while. You'll get some guys like Jermaine O'Neal, for example, who came out of high school never gave Portland what they needed as a player, but then grew and developed and actually became a good NBA player, a journeyman, but a good NBA player who actually had longevity. 
in his career, but not with Portland, who drafted him. So, but I think you're going to see one thing that's going to happen is that the NBA, I don't know if as a reaction to this, but they've already been talking about it, and Adam Silver's hinted at it anyway. I think you're going to see the door open to the one and done being done. Because the NBA, I think, is ready to do it again. And I think this shows that the colleges, there's some that can't handle it. You might as well open the door and let them make the money up front right away anyway. Instead of playing games like this. Now, this scandal is not the NBA's fault. I'm not saying it is in the least, but I'm saying as a reaction to this, I think you may see the NBA to say, you know what, the heck with this. You want to go from high school to pros? That's your decision. If you're good enough, you'll play. If you're not... Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And very, very pleased. To bring in someone I consider to be a good friend. Uh, This has been a lot of fun over recent years, just getting to know each other a lot better because he is the consummate professional that for 37 years did the job the way you should do it, and that is Chris Wheeler. Wheels, welcome back. Great to have you with us, my friend. Thank you, Steve. I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out with you this afternoon. It's always fun. (laughs) It is a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know who's going to ask who more questions here, though. I've got a feeling you you have a few. I just told Sean, your producer, you know, I know so well, I said, hey, it's Steve's show. He'll ask me what he wants, but he knows what I want to talk about. <laughs> well, you, you know what we can do? All right. How about if we start this? I'll give you the first three, and then I'll do the next three. <laughs> Okay. Well, there wasn't much around here this year, as you well know. It's gotten a little bit better lately. Uh, uh, you know, I still love baseball so much, and I'm that ambassador stuff. So I'm here for all the home games, and I've seen it kind of change in uh, six weeks, maybe uh, ever since Hoskins got here, and he kind of lit it up for a while. And uh, uh, you know, there's some other younger players who were here, and and uh, they got a lot of energy because all the young guys are here. Not they're they're not real tired and mailing it in this time of the year. So it's been a lot more fun to watch. There's no doubt about it. Uh, not going to lose a hundred games. That's a wonderful thing by winning last night. We're going to lose only going to lose ninety nine if we lose four more. So that's a plus. But yeah, some things. I think some things are looking up. I'm not going to say the playoff team is around the corner or anything like that. But definitely things are some some things are looking up with some younger players with some ability here. And you've taken a long look over the last couple of years at some of these guys. Uh, you always appreciate, how, and this is what I've always admired about you, you know how hard the game is. You know how hard it is. Uh, so give me, moving forward, what the adjustment part's going to be for these young guys. 
Well, you know, everybody has their own feeling on sports. And, you know, you do enough baseball and like the game so much, you understand how hard this is. It's a game that just looks easy because everybody played it. And everybody, all sizes can play it. And they don't realize at this level, the major leagues, how difficult it is. So the adjustments, in my opinion, always are when you fail. Like Hoskins came up here and just lit it up like, you know, he'd never seen anything like that. He set records and home runs and in games as a rookie. Uh, and now he's struggling a little bit because the league will figure you out. This game is meant for you to fail, and you don't learn anything about anybody when they're going good. You find out when they're going bad. So, you know, we've had guys up here for long enough this year, Steve, that we've been able to see both, see some good and some bad, and then you really get a feel if they have a future at this level. Because, uh, you know, you do those games down there in the short season at State College, and, you know, those kids are really babies. They're just starting. And then they maybe will get to AAA eventually. And the difference between AAA and the major leagues is astronomical. So, uh, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now. Yeah, you know what I find out? I think a guy may go on a six, seven game hitting streak. And if you talk to him a little bit about it, because after a while you know how to talk to these guys, right? You can tell that they feel like they're one over three from going over ten. I mean, is, is, that, is that how you always felt? I every, absolutely. In fact, you know the great play, and I've been lucky, as you know, to be around so many great players in the forty-seven years I've been here, and the thirty-seven on the air, and they're all paranoid because when they're going good, they go, "Oh, geez, it's right around the corner." You know, it's going to happen. Some guy's going to come out there put me in a funk tonight and then I'm not going to get a hit for a week and I'm going to go four for 30 or something like that so yeah even with the great players uh, well maybe not Rose because Rose didn't think anybody would ever get him out but with most of the great players I've been around uh, they they are they are always waiting for something to go the other way on them and inevitably it does and for the young players in the Phillies I think a prime example is Aaron Judge because the first half before the all-star break Untouchable. Then went through a, a long, prolonged slump, and now has come down the stretch and played great. So, I mean, it, that's a good example for any young player, isn't it, Wills? Yeah, and I love his attitude too, because he almost he kind of said that at the uh, when he was such a force in that home run derby that he still thinks back to last year or even in spring training this year when he didn't know if. Anyway, he didn't want to buy anything uh, because he didn't think he was going to stick around. Even this year he was saying that. You know, I don't know if I want to buy a condo or live in New York or something like that permanently because I don't know if I can do this at this level for a long period of time. And sure enough, he went in that funk. And, of course, they're blaming home run derby for it. And that didn't have anything to do with it. Because, it's, right. you know, it, it certainly didn't hurt Stanton. But, you know, to his credit, he's come back. He walks a lot. He gets a lot of doubles. He smiles a lot. To me, he's a he's a great, great human being from what I've seen of him and great for the game. Overall, Wheels, how do you feel about the overall quality of the game that we're watching today compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago? Totally different game, Steve. Totally different game. Uh, um, the quality, I don't think the quality in any sport is as good as what, as you say, quote-unquote, we watched years ago or that I watched when I started because it's diluted so much and there's so many more players. 
the game itself has become, and baseball has become a game of bullpens and managerial moves late in the games and strikeouts and those kind of things. It used to be a strikeout where the player didn't want to strike out. Now they say, if I hear one more of them say it's just another out, I'd scream because it's not just yeah. another out. So that's, that, to me, is the, the, the thing that's really changed. Obviously, the, the revenue involved and the salaries involved, but it's still a great, great game that I just love so much. and. Yeah. And uh, it always will be a great game. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait for postseason next week, and I know you can't. <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm anxious to see what uh, what the old town team will do. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was talking to a scout uh, early in the season, and he said, you know, it used to be on our chart we put down average fastball 90 and 92. So if they're 90 and 92, they had to mark average fastball. Now they have to mark average fastball at 92 to 94. What does that tell us? You know, I don't know what it means, except that they throw so much harder. And why? Um, (laughs) Is it the conditioning that they have nowadays? Is the fact that they, you know, a starter knows he's only going to go a few innings. He's not going to pitch a complete game. The athletes are just so much better. Uh, And the pitchers, I'm not saying they're better pitchers, but they throw so much harder. Now, the thing about Major League Baseball, unlike when we were kids and played, if somebody threw hard, we were out. But if you mm-hmm. throw hard up here and you throw it down the middle, you can't throw it hard enough to them. So you still have to be able to locate a little bit and still, in my opinion, have to have something off speed or a trick pitch like a split or some kind of changeup. But the pitching right now, that's what I say about the game. I don't know it's as good a game because we shift so we shift so many hitters. There are so many strikeouts, and we bring so many guys in from the seventh inning on that can strike out the side. So sometimes you'll go three innings in a game, and nothing will happen. Now, the, the, wow. team, that, the team that does that, they love it. The team that uh, they're doing it to, it's not so much fun. But for the fans, nothing happens for those three innings. So I think the two things are shifts and the amount of strikeouts late in the game are detrimental to the game, in my opinion. What about mound visits, too? They've talked about pace of play. Do you foresee a change in rules on mound visits? That's the easiest one, Steve. Easiest one to stop. You put an anchor on the catcher, make them stay back there, and X number of visits to the mound. Um, you know, a pitching coach can only come out once or twice, and, and usually it's the pitching coach once, the manager once, and then the guy's gone. But the catcher, oh, back and forth, back and forth, and... Uh, to me, that's one of the things that would be the easiest thing to legislate. You can't legislate commercial time in games because of the revenues involved. You really can't. And there's other things that are really hard to keep a guy in the box and all. Hard to legislate the strike zone unless you start them when they're in the league with you call the games and make, get them used to it. Yeah. But you can legislate trips to the mound, absolutely. Yeah. All right, now we got to get to some fun stuff here. I'm going <laughs> to run that? this by you because you know what you you know what I'm talking about when I say this. So I want to see what you think of this. I feel that Saquon Barkley oh. is to James Franklin's early program what Mike Reed was to the early stages of Joe Paterno's hmm. program. That's a great that's a great analogy because you wouldn't have picked an offensive pro, uh, player for the uh, early days of Joe's. Um, Joe's program because he brought in uh, offensive players and made them defensive stars because that's the way he, he thought about the game to get speed on defense. So, yeah, and Barkley, uh, just 
you know, I was lucky enough to see them all, except Lenny Moore. I was too young for Lenny Moore. To just, I just saw a video of Lenny Moore. But I've been lucky enough to see all these great backs you guys and you and, and Jack are talking about all the time. And people compare this one to that one. This guy's on another planet. He's not only another planet at Penn State. He's on another planet of, of people that have played the game of college football. He, and, you know, I've been lucky enough to be around it and be around you and, and the coaches who have been so good to me over the last few years and been around him since he's been a freshman and seen what kind of human being he is and how he conducts himself and couldn't be prouder. He's a, he's a, he's a joy to watch, and he's also uh, such, for, for us alums, he, he, may, he makes you so proud. You've been around a lot of great sporting events and seasons, and you can probably mark in the season, you know what, this is what helped galvanize the team. And you've seen it in your personal experience. When you watched Saturday night, did you feel like you were watching one of those moments? Yeah. Well, Minnesota last year, and you and I talked about that, and yeah. I'm sure I don't think yeah. anybody disagrees with that. Minnesota last year just because I was lucky enough to be up there the next week when they beat Ohio State, and and uh, you know that really turned them around. That they, they, you know, they had their head down, not their head down, but they're losing at halftime, and police is booing, and they're yelling fire, Franklin. It sounded like you were here, you know, that kind of stuff that happens <laughs> down here. Uh, and then then you know you go up there. And they come out and beat Ohio State, and that changed everything. But that thing the other night, you know, I, 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 when I talked about it, when I saw you this spring, what were going to be the hard games, really hard games? You worried about Iowa on the road at night? You know anything about football and Penn State and the Big Ten? They're brutal to play in that atmosphere. And I was worried the whole game because we couldn't score and put points on the board. And, you know, I was listening to you guys, and you were feeling the same way. And, and that Watley, you know, you just – I kept waiting for him to break a play, and doggone it, he does. And then the interception at the end of the first half, and little things like that. But that kid, McSorley, he's got the heart of a lion. That drive at the end was uh, – I'm not surprised that he did it, but you never can figure you're going to do that with a minute and 38 and uh, and uh, a couple timeouts, but in that environment because it just took one mistake and it uh, that would have cost the whole thing. And you know, because you've been at practice, you've watched how they practice the two minute drill. I mean, I mean, the one thing that I mean, you said to me at, at spring when they were doing the two minute drill, you looked at me and says the patience is remarkable. And yeah. that was something that really stuck out to you is the patience in how they do yeah. it. Yeah, because, uh, you know, they call it a hurry up and two, well, but if you hurry too much, you're going to fumble or throw an interception or something like that, and then it's all over that fast. So, yeah, yeah I, uh, it is. It is remarkable to watch, and you know I've been lucky enough that, that as I said, the coaching staff has been so good to me, and I've been lucky enough to be there for a practice or or a scrimmage or or a walkthrough. And when they're when they're going through a game situation from a game they played before, and they'll go, right. "All right, we're doing Wisconsin." Well, whatever, second and five. You know, second. They go, they go through the whole thing, the whole progression of it. And first time I saw that, it was fascinating to watch how prepared this staff is and how prepared they get these kids. And, uh, you know, you're around, and I hear you talk about it all the time, how professional they are. And, uh, you know, it starts with a great coaching staff, but, you know, they're 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and if you don't have them buy into it and they don't believe in what these guys are trying to do with them, it's not going to work. They're going to just go, I don't need this, you know. I'm going to graduate someday, and who cares, you know. But they do. They absolutely buy into it, and I saw it 
in James, early in James's uh, uh, career up there that they were starting to buy into it, and the guys that didn't want to buy into it were either graduating or they were kind of weeding them out, and you could see it was going to change because because his guys were there, the scholarships came back. It's use an old Charlie Manuel expression. Penn State for so many of those years was like a one. Man, well, I'll clean it up. Was like a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest, and that's what in a butt kicking contest. He said, "You know, I used to laugh when he'd say that," and I said, "That's Penn State. That's what they are." And a lot of people don't understand what they're going through right now and trying to turn this around. But yeah. lucky enough to have been around it up close and. And I always felt, I told everybody down here, they asked me about it, relax, they're making progress. Now, last year snuck up on all of us, I think, but yeah. uh, they're making progress. They really are. And they're just, they're professional, they're fun to watch. When are you getting up here again? Come on. I got the Michigan game. I'm a front uh, runner. I, I take the big boy game. There you go. I I'll love be it. There. I'll be there. I, I love it. I got that game, and I'll be up. In, I'll be up in that governmental affairs box, and you know, like some hot shot. You know, I, 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 although I nothing I enjoyed more than that half I spent with you and Jack a couple of years ago in that Illinois overtime yeah. game. That was so much fun to be hanging out with you guys and watch you work. That was that was great. I had to laugh because he comes into the booth, and Roger Corey looks at him, and there was this guy. And then all of a sudden, these people start coming in. Hey, Wheels. Yeah. Hi, Wheels. Hey, Wheels. Wheels. He's a, he's a, this must be a pretty important guy. <laughs> well, you know what he did? He let me move a couple steps closer to you. Yeah. <laughs> that, was like, that was funny. I, oh. I totally understood that Roger's your gatekeeper, and I hear the respect <laughs> you have for him on the air and the way you, you guys tease each other. And you don't tease each other, you don't love and respect. So I yeah. know from having been in that business you get it when you hear that so he was just doing he was just doing his job and i said well i'll just i'll just wait till steve gets here and then uh, i think it'll be all right and then those people walked in hey wheels what's up and he looked at me like who is this guy who is this guy <laughs> that was that was uh, funny that was a that was one of those great moments you can't make it up you can't make it up it was great so so you darn well one of those two days Get over and see me, all right? Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Right. You're gonna you're gonna be doing the show downtown again? Yeah, we're gonna be at. Uh, well, Thursday we'll be at Permanis, and then on Friday we're down at the tavern. So come on. Now, I would love to see you. Know that I I always uh, enjoy any time and uh, being able to be up there this year, have lunch together, and spend all that time at the at the practice was a, was a hoot. I always enjoy that. You're the best, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, Thanks, we will be talking between now and then because uh, we're going to make it happen. All right, because, you know, you and I will text once in a while. I can't help myself. I tried I tried to stay away from bothering you early in the, in the year, and I thought after that game the other night, my, I couldn't sleep anyway. So I, I knew you were getting on a plane, and I know that feeling when you win a game. that You don't even need the airplane when you're flying back. Well, Barkley had a middle seat. Okay, he didn't have an aisle seat, didn't have a window seat, he had a middle seat, and Come he's on. And he's and he's joking. He, I walk by and he fist pump, and I'm like, okay, and he's like, hey, I feel great. <laughs> Look at Jack. I said, I think he could go 40 more carries. Well, I, I heard Jack say on the phone. You know, you know, I like to listen to your post game. I heard Jack saying he'd give him his aisle, and I know exactly <laughs> what that means when you're lucky enough to have your own aisle. <laughs> you got that right, because that's the that's one guy amazing. that can stretch out in the row. Oh, I can't believe that he just didn't well whatever he's just he's a That's freak of nature is. and and such a wonderful human being to it we're we're so lucky to have him and uh, you know you're lucky enough to know him and be around him i just admire him so much from afar 
Wheels, you're the best, my friend. We Thanks, will talk Steve. soon. Text often, please. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy. I always enjoy catching up. I, you know, I enjoy our friendship. Thanks a lot. It means a lot. Chris Wheeler, he is uh, special. Uh, very, very special. Uh, think the world of him. Really do. Think the world of him. All right, we'll wrap up this broadcast extravaganza as only we can in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. going to do the bison build-up if the color analyst doesn't go to the luncheon? <laughs> Ever. You're saying now, I should, a, you're saying I should be on wa- the pregame? Is that what you're saying? Well, you, yes, I am. Okay. Uh, because you, you actually go and get info. I mean, you know, it's not like you're Jack Ham who's 130 miles away, so it's not easy. It's, you know, last time I checked, this was not an exhausting trip. I mean, has he gone to any of the luncheons this year? Uh, the opening one. Do you have to pay? No. Oh, this is right up his alley, then. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Doug asked for him up front. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was an exchange oh. of paper 48 hours ahead of time I'm not aware of, but... <laughs> well... <laughs> these, these lunches are a little difficult for Doug because I mean it's not catered by Wendy's. So. <laughs> Doug, I'm sorry, I could not help that. I th- you know, I think the world of Doug, but the, I guess that's his th- that's where they go all the time when they're on the road. I tell you, does Doug, I th- they're going to honor Fran Fisher at the game on Saturday? Yeah, I kind of wish they'd done it. When he was still alive, but they're going to do it. And what he meant around here, can't put a price on it. Now, Doug, you name the sport. Doug does more events in a year than anybody. Has he even, has, the, has he even called water polo? I hope the people at Bucknell, and I'm sure they do, understand how absolutely invaluable Doug Birdsong is. I mean, you have to have a real depth of commitment to do everything Doug does, and not only that, he does it at such a high level. Well, before I asked kicker John Bordick the question about what he was thinking before the game-winning kick, first thing I turned to, I looked at Doug and I said, hey, great call by you on Saturday night. Yeah. He appreciated that. Yep. No, it was a great call. The game-winner. Was the analyst even in the booth? Booth field? Not sure. Vicinity? Because as we've heard, he's been good at calling field goals lately, too. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.